Boy, hadn't the Lord already met with us today. Sometimes services like this, I feel it'd be best for me to just hush and let y'all go home. Yeah, I was, that's what I figured. Amen? Yeah. You're not going to get that, but... <laughs> Second Kings chapter number 7 this morning. Second Kings chapter number 7. If you wonder where that's at, it immediately follows the book of First Kings. Uh, it doesn't take a mathematician to get that, does it? And uh, it's right before the book of First Chronicles. Second Kings chapter number 7. I want to preach a message this morning on a text that I have longed to preach for for quite a while. Uh, this passage has always spoke to my heart. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, if you've ever uh, taught or preached and you read a passage, sometimes you know there's something there and it speaks to your heart, but you have trouble finding a way to put it into words. And I've thought about this passage for uh, quite a while, several years, in fact, and so I hope that this morning it will be a blessing to your heart and I hope we can learn some things from it. Second Kings chapter number 7, look with me at verse number 3. Now, this is going to seem a little odd. We're starting in the middle of a story, but I'll give you a little background in a moment. It says, And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. They said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they arose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host, they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent, and carried thence also, and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. I want to read verse 3 to you one more time. Our text is found in that verse. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. They said one to another, underscore this in your mind, Why sit we here until we die? Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I am completely and utterly incapable of the task at hand. Lord, uh, if I don't stand with your power and your unction and the love of Christ in my heart and in my message, I'm but sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. But Lord, I know and I trust this morning that your Holy Spirit will give us power and unction as we preach. And Lord, that the hearts of those that are here would be affected in a way that would give you glory. If there's one here that, to be honest before you, does not know for sure that they're saved, I pray that today they would be convicted of their lost state, shown their need of Christ, and before they ever leave this place, they'd come to know Him as their Savior 
there's one here today, Lord, that is not going and giving the tidings of good news, I pray that you convict them, show them the pressing need for giving of the gospel to others. Lord, I pray if there's one that's downcast, they'd be uplifted. One that is high, mighty, they'd be abased. God, that you'd comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And Lord, before we leave this place, that we'd be closer to you. Father, we love you. We thank you for it. And we ask every bit of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What a desperate statement given in verse number 3. Four lepers are seated outside of the gates of Israel and they make this statement, Why sit we here until we die? To give you a little background for this passage, uh, the Syrian army has besieged the uh, nation of Israel. They're around uh, the gates of Samaria. They are waiting and uh, just waiting for an opportunity to pounce upon their prey. I don't know if you've studied siege warfare any, uh, but it's one of the ugliest types of warfare. Essentially, in a walled city, uh, a group of the opposing army would gather outside of the walls and just wait. They'd wait out the city that was inside. They knew that eventually they'd have to come out. They could not provide for themselves forever. And rather than dying swiftly in one night of battle, a whole city would waste away in starvation and hunger and thirst and sickness. Such was the situation for the nation of Israel. In fact, we're told in chapter number 6 that it got so desperate that uh, two women made a covenant one with another. They each had a son and they went to each other and the one said to the other one, said, I'll tell you what, today we'll boil my son and eat him and tomorrow we'll boil your son and eat him. And lo and behold, you know, she must have been a Baptist because she reneged on her deal. Amen. Uh, they ate the child of the one woman and then the, that woman hid her own child and would not give her child up to be eaten. Uh, the woman came to the king of Israel and said, she's done me wrong. Uh, we ate my child, uh, but she's hid her child. And it broke the heart of the king so much that he fell in sackcloth and ashes. It broke his heart in two to see the place that his great city had come to. But it's interesting to note as we study this passage, we're given a narrative of the nation of Israel here, but a parenthetical statement. Most of us know what that is. It's when you put something in parentheses. That means it doesn't directly correlate to your context, but it's important to the overall picture. A little parenthetical story is given to us concerning four leprous men that were sitting outside this gate. These four leprous men were sitting there, and I'm sure that they're looking inside the city and seeing starvation. They're looking outward towards the camp of the Syrians, and they see violence and warfare just waiting on them. But they can wait no longer. If they just sit there, they're going to die because they look within themselves and see a dark disease that will one day claim their life. And so in desperation, one of them looks at the other and says, and let me paraphrase this, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Why sit we here till we die? This was a man that got fed up with waiting to die. He looked at his uh, friends gathered there and he said, we've got to do something. Uh, if we go in the city, we're going to starve to death. If we go to the Syrians, they might kill us. If we stay here, we're going to die anyway. We've lost all hope. And so in an act of desperation and faith, they enter into the Syrian camp. And the Bible tells us uh, that the whole camp was empty. Now, you may sit there and think to yourself, well, that's good, preacher. That bit of history is good. But what does it mean to me? What does it mean to you? 
I propose to you today that we live in a world full of lepers just waiting to die. As you study the Word of God, you'll find that leprosy is always a picture of sin in the Word of God. And so when we find this passage, we don't just see lepers sitting outside of a gate. But I want to give you three thoughts this morning. I'm going to try to be brief. I want to say that first off, we see the sinner waiting to die. As these men are sitting there, they give up all hope. Why was it that they were dying? I want to say two or three reasons they were dying. I want to say, first off, they were dying because they were diseased. They could not just sit there and wait because waiting would take their life. Can I tell you this morning that every single person that draws a breath in this world is born dying. One of these days, uh, their last breath will be drawn. One of these days, it's an astounding thing to think about how many times the heart beats in an average minute. And one of these days, after millions and millions and billions of beats, it'll beat its last time. You see, these men came to a realization that if they stayed where they were at, they were headed for death. They had a disease that was consuming their body. And every single person born into this world, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You say, well, that's fine. I'm not a sinner. Well, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You may say, well, I'm not as bad as this guy over here. Let me ask you something. How silly would it be for a leper to look at the leper next to him and say, my leprosy is not as bad as your leprosy? The fact is, a leper's going to die of leprosy. Whether his leprosy is as bad as the other one, it may take a little longer. Sin may take a little longer to show up and affect you in your life. But because you're a sinner, you're diseased and on your way to a devil's hell. You say, preacher, boy, that's harsh. No, that's the truth. I'll tell you exactly what would be harsh. What would be harsh is some liberal panty-waisted preacher that was going to stroke your ego and tickle your ears and let you die and go to hell. That's what would be harsh. I'll tell you what love is. You know what Paul said? He said, am I become your enemy therefore because I tell you the truth? When we speak the truth in love, we're speaking love in truth. We find in this passage that these men were diseased and destined to die, just like every person born in this world. Destined to go to a devil's hell. You say, I'm not a bad person. The Bible never says, listen carefully, the Bible never calls a sinner an immoral person. What does the Bible say about a sinner? They're lost. They're alienated. They're hopeless. They're not accepted in the beloved. They're estranged from God. Your problem today is not that you're an immoral person. If you're lost without Christ, your problem is that you're lost without Christ. That's your problem. We find in this passage that these men were diseased and so they were destined to die. But I want you to notice, secondly, that they were discarded. The Bible says, where were they sitting? They were sitting at the entering end of the gate. If you study the Old Testament at all and read in the book of Leviticus and through the Old Testament law, the laws of the lepers, you'll find that when a man came down with leprosy, the first thing they were commanded to do was to be cast out from the city. Do you know that there was no provision in Old Testament law for curing leprosy? None whatsoever. They just had to be cast out, live as isolated, alienated wretches, discarded from society because none could help them. Uh, Let me tell you, in a lot of ways, Israel pictures religion at its axiom. And let me tell you what religion can do for you. Absolutely nothing. The Bible only uses the term religion in a good way one time in the book of James, and it does not in any way resemble the man-made religion of this world. The most religious crowd around those men 
had cast them out. Why? Because they were sick. Because they were lepers. Let me tell you what the religious crowd does with a sinner. They kick him out the back door because they don't like the way he looks. That's what the religious crowd does with a sinner. I'll tell you what the religious crowd does with a sinner. They kick him out the back door because they don't like the way that they talk and the way that they act. They discarded this man. They discarded these four men. They said, we can't help you and we won't try to help you. Now you say, but that was in accordance with the Old Testament law. Shouldn't they have done that? Yeah, and there's a truth I want you to get here. That the law could not save anybody. The Bible says that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. No provision in the law to heal the leper. Maybe they could limit the influence of that leper away from the general population, but they could not do a thing for the leper. Let me tell you, friend, there's not a single church in Knoxville, Tennessee, including this one, that can save you from your sins. Not a single one. The only thing that can save you from your sins is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. Religion can't help you. Church going can't help you. Being baptized, you know what happens when a wet sinner, uh, or when a sinner gets baptized, he goes down a dry sinner, comes up a wet sinner. That's all that happens. Baptism can't save you. Uh, someone else praying for you, while that might lead to events in your life that will cause you to accept salvation, it cannot save you. Your parents cannot save you. Dead church religion can't save you. And exciting church religion can't save you. Only Christ can save you. These men were discarded. But don't you notice a third thought? They finally got desperate. I like that. They finally got desperate. They came to a realization that if they stayed in the shape they were in, they were going to die. Let me tell you when it turns around for a lost sinner. I'll tell you when it turned around for me. I'll tell you when it turned around for every single person that named a date. I'll tell you when it turned around for every single person that's ever been saved. It turned around when they got desperate about getting saved. That's when it turned around. You say, oh, preacher, you're saying someone has to cry a lot of tears. No, that's not what I'm saying. You say, oh, preacher, you're saying it has to be a, a big monumental moment. It has to be in a preaching service. It has to be a revival. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a man does not get saved until he realizes he'll die if he doesn't. That's when he gets saved. These lepers didn't do a thing for themselves until they looked around and said, you know, if we stay in this shape, we're headed for death. Let me tell you what a lost person has to do to die and go to hell. Nothing. If they sit there in the shape that they're in, when death comes... They'll die and go to hell. A person's born into this world lost, alienated, savage, away from God. And if he stays in that shape, he's going to die and go to hell. These lepers said, we're sitting here. We're dying. We can go into the city, but the religious crowd can't help us. We could go to the Syrians, uh, but they'll probably kill us. We could sit here, but we're going to die in and of ourselves. A sinner does not have to commit a big sin to die and go to hell. A sinner commits, uh, a sinner dies and goes to hell because he's rejected his only hope, and that's Jesus Christ. That's why a sinner dies and goes to hell. We find in this picture the sinners dying. But I want you to notice that we see in this picture, I like this, we see the Syrians defeated. So these men are sitting around talking to each other, and they say, well, we might as well go into the Syrians. They were afraid to go. They expected to die when they went in under the Syrian camp. But when they go in under the Syrian camp, what do they find? They find an empty camp. I like what the Bible says. It says they went to the uttermost part of the camp. They walked the length and breadth of that camp looking for somebody that could keep them from being there. But they found no one. Let me tell you what a sinner finds out when they get saved. They find out that the only thing that kept them from getting saved ten years earlier or five years earlier or whatever it is according to their age-wise, 
The only thing that kept them from getting saved was themselves. <laughs> That's the only thing. They thought, oh, if we go into the Syrian camp, surely they're going to stop us. Surely they're going to slay us. Surely we'll just sit out here a little longer. They go into the camp and they find out there's nothing to be afraid of. They could have been saved the whole time. The only thing that kept them from getting saved was them. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of James, draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to you. The Bible says that the way is made for salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say whosoever is a religious person and calls on the name of the Lord. It does not say whosoever is a good-looking person, thank God, and calls on the name of the Lord. It doesn't say whosoever is a rich person, whosoever is a publicly and socially esteemed person, but it says whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what's keeping you from it? Well, fear kept them from it. Fear of the unknown. Let me tell you what a lot of sinners... Uh, uh, let me tell you why a lot of sinners won't give in and accept Christ. They're afraid they're going to have to give something up. They're afraid they're going to have to quit living this way, quit living that. Let me tell you what happens when you get saved. Oh, man, somebody can testify to this, I'm sure. When you get saved, the things that you uh, need to do, God don't make you quit do doing. The things that you don't need to do, you won't want to do anyway. Amen? The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You say, oh man, I just want to do this stuff so bad. Then get saved and let God change your want to. That's what he's in the business of doing. The fact is, uh, there are certain things that I, I do it all I want to. Uh, you know, you know, and listen carefully now. Don't, don't take a snippet. You're going to vote me out if, if you take a snippet. But do you know that, that I do all the drinking that I want to? Do you know that? I do. I do all the drugs I want to. I mean, I, I do all the cheating around on my wife that I want to. All of All that I want to. Secret is, though, I don't want to do any of that. God changed me when He saved me. I was born again. I was born. I've still got my flesh. I'm not saying I don't have a flesh, but I'm saying that the spiritual man lives in with me as well. God changed me. He'll change you. You know, I still believe that God changes sinners, don't you? I hope that you do. Everybody's quiet like they don't believe that this morning. You know, the sad truth is the devil scared most Christians out of believing that Christ can really change people's lives. Oh, we think He can save a few children. We think He can save uh, a few little ones here and there. But do we really believe He can save the drunkard? I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. Do we really believe He can save the prostitute? I believe He can. He's always done it, and He still can. I don't care how bad you are. The only thing that keeps you from Christ's salvation is your fear of the unknown. That's the only thing. They went into the camp, and they said, well, there ain't nobody here. Well, let's go a little further. Maybe we'll find someone. No, there ain't nobody here. Well, let's go a little further. Maybe we'll find someone. No, and they went from the length and the breadth of it. They went all through the camp. To the uttermost part, they found nobody. You know why? Because the enemy had been conquered. <laughs> They found the empty camp, but they found that the enemy had been conquered and they had nothing to fear. Can I tell you that the Bible says uh, that Christ has defeated him that has the power over death? The Bible says that the devil is on borrowed time. He's a defeated foe. He can't keep you from getting saved. He can't stop you from accepting Christ. You have nothing to fear, my friend. Nothing to fear. The Bible tells us that the enemy was done. The enemy was defeated. What is it that scares people out of getting saved? What, what, what do they think is going to happen if they get saved? Going to get made a new creature in Christ Jesus? Yeah, that's going to happen. What's going to happen? He's going to give you joy and peace and hope. Yeah, that's going to happen. 
know, people say, well, it'll be too hard to give up those things. But I want you to remember, the very one that tries to tempt you to do wrong is the one that's a defeated foe. It's a lot like, I, I'm sure you've seen, uh, you know, a hornet or a, a wasp that's had its stinger pulled out. It sure looks mean, but it can't do a thing to you. Uh, you notice that the Bible uh, tells us that the devil is as a roaring lion. It doesn't say he's as a biting lion, but as a roaring lion. You know, the bevel, uh, the, the, blah, 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 I'm not speaking in tongues. I'm just getting tied up. The devil's best defense is to roar. I'm not saying he can't tear your life to pieces. He can if you let him. But if you don't let him, the best thing he can do is roar at you. That's the best thing he can do. He, they go in and they find that the enemy's been conquered. The way's been made. And for the sinner, let me tell you today that the enemy's been conquered. The devil's been defeated. Death has been defeated. Salvation has been purchased for one and all that will come to know Christ as their Savior. We find the enemies defeated. But I want you to see that not only did they find the empty camp and the enemy defeated, but they found the assistance that they craved. They were going to die of starvation if they didn't die of anything else. And when they came in, the Bible says that they found everything that they need. They found food. They found drink. They found silver. They found gold. Boy, I could just stand here and preach on it for just an hour, two hours. Three. Don't get up. But, uh, you know, I like that they came in. They found food and drink. Christ said, uh, I am the living waters. He said, come and drink of me. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come and drink. Uh, the Bible says they found bread. Let me tell you something. We live in a world of hungry souls. Did you know that? We live in a world of people looking for something to give meaning to their lives, something to make sense out of it all. You know, the Bible says that Christ is the bread of heaven. He's the manna sent down from heaven, uh, from God, for you and for me. Let me make you a promise. I mean, an ironclad promise from the Word of God. He'll satisfy you. He'll satisfy you. You say, oh, but you don't know how lonely I am. No, but I know how wonderful He is and He'll satisfy you. You say, but you don't know how fearful that I am. No, but you don't know how mighty He is. He'll satisfy you. You say, He don't know how sinful that I am. No, <laughs> but I know how righteous He is. And He'll satisfy you. Uh, we find that they found bread. They found silver and gold. You know, the Bible says that uh, we're building a house in this world that we're building, we build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and every man builds on this foundation uh, silver and gold and precious metals and wood, hay and stubble. One of these days, uh, God's going to take the uh, judgment match and light the judgment fire and throw it to our life and that which didn't matter and wasn't for Him is going to burn up and ain't going to matter. And only that which was silver and gold and precious metals is going to remain. That's all that's going to remain. Do you know uh, that though life is meaningless without Christ, if you'll accept Him as your Savior, He'll give you something with meaning. He'll give you a purpose in life, something to do, something that will last. These men were in a desperate state. Oh, it was the famous missionary, uh, Jim Elliott, that made the statement that no man is a fool that gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I promise you today, if you're lost without Christ, there's nothing you can keep. But if you know Him as your Savior, you've got, oh, my friend, you'll keep it all. You'll keep it all. It all belongs to Him. You're bankrupt if you're lost. You've got nothing if you're lost. You say, i got a big old house. It's going to burn up. You say, i got a nice car. It's going to burn up. If it's a Chevy, it's going to tear up. Amen? Hey, hey. I See, I hear my Chevy people booing, but my Ford people ain't, ain't amening me. I'm, I feel out here in the open now. Yeah, there you go. We don't even count Toyota people. 
<clears throat> but uh, no, I'm joking. My wife's got a Toyota. It's 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 nice. Every time we wind it up, it goes. Every time. But it. Uh, no, let me tell you something today, friend. He'll give you life with purpose and life with meaning. We find. Oh, I like this. They found raiment to put on. Couldn't see that they were a leper when they were wearing that Syrian raiment. Oh yeah, they were sinners. But they were sinners with a new coat on. Let me tell you what you are when you get saved. The Bible says we put on the new man. We put on Jesus Christ. Though we're just sin-sick lepers, lost and undone, by grace we have the righteousness of Christ applied to our account. I like that they went and they got it and they went and they hid it and they came back and they went and they got it. I've seen people do that at meals, amen. <laughs> they went and got it and went and hid it. You know what that tells me? The more time went on, the more they found out what they had got. You know, as a Christian, every single day it seems like I learn more and more what Christ has done for me. Every day heaven's sweeter. Every day hell's hotter. Every day my sin's darker and every day the salvation of Jesus Christ is brighter. And it seems like every time I get it, I go and go and hide it and come back and say, well, there's more. <laughs> I think I've got it figured out. I think I understand everything of what Christ has done for me. I wake up, the sun rises the next morning. I say, oh, glory, He did more for me than I could ever imagine. We find in this passage that we see the Syrians defeated. But I want you to notice a third thing and we'll close. We see the spared declaring. Look what it says there in verse number 9. These Syrians, they're, they're going, you know, they're, they're like a couple hungry dogs. They just keep getting stuff and putting it back and getting stuff. And one of them, one of them, looks at the other one. Look what it says in verse number 9. It says, Then said they, they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. You know what they did? They said, this is so good. And shame on us for keeping it a secret. This is so good. What's happened to us today is so marvelous. It's so miraculous. And God help us when we sit here and keep it all to ourselves. Oh, it's easy to be judgmental of four old lepers thousands of years back in history. But let me just step on your toes for a bit. You know that you and I, you and I have something a lot better than those lepers had. You know God's done more for you and I than He did for those four sin-sick lepers. And God help us when we keep it all to ourselves and hold our peace. You see, the truth of the matter is, boy, this is going to upset Calvinists. If you're Calvinist, close your ear. I'll know which ones you are now. Amen. I, I like the fact that the enemy wasn't just defeated for the lepers. The enemy was defeated for everybody. For everybody. Sad truth is, though, the lepers were the only ones that knew about it. And we find that at first there's a joy with them. There's a joy. They're elated of what God has done for them. Now let me just, and I'm not trying, I don't want to overstep my boundary. I don't want to say anything that could be considered just my opinion. But let me say that I get real concerned when a Christian gets over what Christ has done for him. You know what causes a Christian to be miserable? Sin. 
What did David say in Psalms chapter number 51 after he had sinned with Bathsheba? He repented, prayed unto the Lord, and he said, Restore unto me what? The joy of thy salvation. Why did he lose his joy? Because he played around with sin. Listen, it, it ought to be, I mean, if, if the only thing that Christ ever did for us, if the only thing that Christ ever did for us was save us, that ought to be enough to shout this house down. We ought to have footprints on the walls, amen? But the truth is we lose our joy. We let sin rob us of the joy of our salvation. These men, don't you remember what it was like to be a newly saved leper? <laughs> don't you remember what it was like when God had just opened your eyes? Don't you remember what it was like when you went down to an altar filthy, came up washed in the blood of Christ, and joy flooded your soul, and excitement filled your heart, and ambition for the cause of Christ was your driving purpose. They had joy. But in the midst of that joy, they speak of judgment that could come to them. They say, if we tarry till the morning, some mischief will come upon us. You know, the Bible says that Christ is returning. Amen. And when He comes, He'll come as a thief in the night. I understand that we're children of the day, not children of the night. I know the Bible says that we're to, uh, that there's 12 hours in the day and we're to work while it's day, and I understand all that. But can I say, in a lot of ways, we're living in the midnight of this church age. In, in a lot of ways, we're in a dark place. But do you know there's a day coming when the day star is coming back? There's coming a day when the Son of Righteousness will appear. What happens if we tarry and do not tell it and wait until the morning? You know, the only time you've got to witness to others is on this side of eternity and on this side of the coming of Christ. The only time that you've got to work for Jesus Christ is today. You say, what about tomorrow? You're not promised tomorrow. You've got today. They said... If we don't, there's a judgment coming. The Bible says every idle word will be brought into judgment. How will it be for you on that judgment day? So they realize thirdly, and I'm going to hush, that there's a job to do. They say, let's go to the king's household. Tell everybody we can find. You know what would be a good thing today? Is if we could all leave this place and say, I've got to find somebody to tell about Christ's salvation. I promise you, if you hide it, keep it to yourself. Mischief will come in the morning. You'll have to answer to Christ for that. You say, oh, but heaven's all bliss and heaven's all joy. Paul said, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. What did he say? We persuade men. Paul said, this is the only time I've got to persuade men. And knowing that I'll give an account one day. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. Why do you think the Bible says he'll wipe away all tears? The Bible doesn't say when we get to heaven there's no tears. The Bible says one day God will wipe away all tears. Oh, I know they like to sing it. I know Mr. Clapton sings about no tears in heaven or whatever else. Uh, but let me just tell you that the Bible teaches us very, very, very clearly that it's going to be an angst-filled day when we stand before Christ for a lot of us, probably the most of us. I encourage you today. You've got loved ones that if they died today, they'd die and go to hell. And I know you do, and I do too. What are we doing to win them to Christ? Maybe you're here today and you've never been saved. You know, the only thing that keeps you from entering the camp is, is fear. If you walk out those double doors and you don't know Christ as your Savior, it's no one's choosing but your own. 
Christ is willing to save you today. He's willing to intervene in your life today. Create you anew. Wash your sins away and make you a child of God and accepted in the Beloved. The only thing that can stop you is you. So I'll do it tomorrow. You don't know if you've got tomorrow. You're just sitting waiting to die right now if you don't know Christ. You say, well, I've never done anything too bad. That's okay. You sit there long enough and reject Him. You'll die just the same. But today, you don't have to end a tragic case. Today, you can get your salvation settled before the God of heaven by the blood of Christ. He'll save you today.